listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. Before we get going, let me introduce the guys and... <laughs> uh, over here on my left, we've got the one and only writer extraordinaire, Mr. Music, Bobby Osinski. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. Across the table, we've got producer extraordinaire, works over at Trailer Park, does a great job, helps me out on the audio nowcast, Miss Bliss McGinnis. Hello, everyone. And finally, the one and only on my right-hand side. The Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Rob Arbiter. Hello, Mike. <laughs> I think this is the first time I've ever been on your right. You know what? This How many years has it been? <laughs> it's because of Trump. <laughs> is that what it is? Want to switch sides? <laughs> We're topsy-turvy. The country's been turned on its head. Huh? I've never uh, seen this side uh, of you before. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's good to be over here on the right. Uh, hey, uh, I want to uh, welcome everybody to... Uh, Podcast number 178, episode wow. 178. That's a lot. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, guys, this is crazy. This will probably be our second to the last one for the year. Like 2015 has been so, so crazy. It's been super busy. Been doing a 2016, you mean? Mike? Yeah, d- didn't I say that? You said 2015. Uh, see? I've, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's how, how crazy it's been. Crazy it's we did been. 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't want anyone listening uh, to get too confused. Yeah, like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Uh, well, you know. But it has been a heck of a year. I have a hard time with these things called words. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been crazy. And, and as I look at how – I mean literally this year with the changing in the studio and the whole thing, it's just – it's been amazing. But um, you know, things are – we've been a little behind on the posting of the podcast, but we're going to catch up and there's some things that are happening. And obviously the VR aspect of the whole thing is kind of fun. Yeah, and we've got our new digs and we got new technology. It's like a whole rebirth. Yes, and for those of you who went with us on the last podcast, this is an amazing studio that we're at and uh, it's going to be our home of uh, the Audio Nowcast and it's cool. It's really, really cool. Um, and Rob has an amazing array of synths, and uh, someday we're going to do a uh, virtual tour of them so you can tell everybody. And that will take 178 hours. Too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the cool thing here is you can pan around, you can look around. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And there's We should a- actually have like a identify the weird piece of gear that's right. Uh, contest. Name the weird piece <laughs> of name gear. Name like this synth. <laughs> yeah. First person to name this synth. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, doesn't win this synth. You no. might win an old DMP7. Seriously, I don't even know what that synth is, though. See, it's that weird, but it's really cool. But I'm not going to tell you because someone may want to guess. I'm, no, I'm we... looking at the name and I don't know it. No, that's the beauty of it. Even if you see the name, you probably can't pronounce it. Now, is this CV or is it a MIDI? No, it's true CV. It does have a MIDI in it, but it's a full analog synth. It just has MIDI. And it has a MIDI to CV converter in it. But it's a full analog patching modular synth. I must hear it one of these days. It's incredibly cool. It's probably the ballsiest sounding thing in the whole room. Yeah. Really? Yeah. More so than like the like, virus? Than the Nord? Yeah, uh, yeah. It just has this analog punch that is just amazing. Want- yeah, you can turn your woofers into fuses if you're not careful. <laughs> I want to play with that synth. You should. That's oh, why it's sitting there. I like this one. I almost bought this one. As a matter of fact, the radius. The radius. I have a I have an M3 keyboard, mm-hmm. right? And I bought a radius 
because you know the the M3 has you can slide that in there if you have the kit because you move basically what you when you're buying an M3 you're buying a giant 88 key controller mm-hmm. and then you're buying the brain as a module and so you can it's made to have the radius go in it so I bought the radius I literally bought one I brought it home and it didn't have any of the mounting hardware <laughs> that's a problem for the keyboard mm-hmm. and so I had to return it because it's like the last thing I wanted is a, to have it, and I don't know. It was defeats just, the purpose. Yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose. But that is an amazing. That was like when that thing came out. It was it was like the dance, um, literally like the ultimate dance keyboard. Oh, it was I great mean, for that. The appreciator is just phenomenal. It sounds great. So every week we'll pull something out of the archives and uh, see if people can guess what it is. No, we should do that. I have some crazy old stuff that. Serves no purpose other than to have people guess what it might be. <laughs> hey, me, I think we mentioned this on the last podcast, but uh, Russian Dragon, come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, still got one. So, hey, you never know when analog resyncing of remixes is going to come back. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so we've got the new digs. It's been really cool. And I, uh, I do have to tell you one thing about the Russian Dragon because um, – before I had my own, I used to see it in studios all the time. You should probably tell people what it is. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a device that we used to use when we were syncing together tracks, <clears throat> and it basically had two audio inputs, and then it had some LEDs on the front, and it would tell you whether one sing well, whether one signal was ahead of time or behind time of the other. So, like, if you had two kick drums, you could feed them in. If one was a little ahead, it basically showed you whether one signal was Russian against the other or dragon against the other so that's why it was called a russian dragon which is a clever name but i remember seeing it in studios all the time and when i was going to uh put together my own place i remember thinking i got to get one of those i've used them in the studios and i went and bought one and i had only ever seen it mounted in a rack and i thought it was this big complicated piece of gear (laughs) that went back like you know a foot and a half or something and i bought one and it's what like an inch deep yeah right right, two inches deep there's nothing in it it's it's very tiny but i remember that was the first time i ever bought a piece of gear and was just like so incredibly let down when i opened the box and once it was mounted in the rack it's like okay it looks cool again but you realize it's a toy and how much was it back in the day i've just about 250 bucks or something is that what it was because i was really happy when i got 125 and i was selling it just on the cusp of digital coming in thinking wow i I, it's time to get rid of this yeah there is truly no need for it anymore except in the case of this conversation (laughs) (laughs) and it was a great name i mean you gotta admit and you know what but we will not try to give it away because our giveaways never work no (laughs) no but there's one here in uh, mint condition if we ever need to use it. We tried to give away a, a DMP7. It's still sitting here. There's <laughs> still three of them sitting here in the archives. But ten, I've got some stuff. We'll pull out some stuff if ten, we want to surprise people with like walks down memory lane. Ten years ago, that was hilarious. Yeah, it's still hilarious. The, the, see, the condition was when Rob put it together. <laughs> well, yeah, I had to recondition all the belts that made the faders move. And it's still sitting on the to-do pile. Anyway, <laughs> oh, 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 I see. Yeah, so uh, I'm still we're still getting used to our new digs, but uh, this is pretty cool, and I'm excited. Um, let me segue to something that's a little less exciting, but in some ways, um, we still want to celebrate uh, this this man's life, and that's uh, Saul Walker. Um, you know, the original founder of API. He passed away um, last month, and uh, you know, API sponsors our podcast, and. Uh, I just wanted to say a little bit about Saul because I got to know Saul. I did a two-hour interview um, of Saul for an API 40th anniversary DVD that um, that I produced. And 
that man was the most gentle soul. He was such a good, kind man and he just would talk and he was really open and um, he just had a fascinating backstory how he started designing stuff for the military and how um, basically they're working on all this radar stuff and they needed to design um, a circuit to keep the noise down and that's basically the beginning of the of the mic pre and you know because essentially he had to perfect a, a quiet mic pre and um, what ended up happening is they noticed that it sounded good in music and you know the rest was kind of history and it kind of went that direction um and he was just really generous with his time and really open and and to hear him talk as a matter of fact he was a little too generous and uh, i'll tell you guys this because this will just be a secret between us but he actually you know gave away the secret <laughs> of their op amp right on uh, oh he did in the interview it was really oh. because there's certain things that they do when they make their op amp because only they make their op amp and um and i'll never forget when i was talking to dan um about what happened i go yeah he even said you know why the their op amp is so cool you know and uh dan goes uh, we got to burn that tape. <laughs> <laughs> That's not supposed to be public. That's not supposed to be. Uh, but it was. It was really. He's just. A, he was just a gentle soul, and and he would go to Nam, and he, you know, was teaching over at NYU, and um, he was just a really, really amazing individual. And um, to be able to spend as long as he did in in music, and you know, he he sold API, obviously, you know, a while back. Um, I have to hand it to the guys, to Larry and, and Gordon over at mm-hmm. API because they totally embraced him and they basically brought him back and mm-hmm. totally, you know, especially around the 40th anniversary, you know, got him involved. And he was just – he really loved it and and his wife had, you know, told Larry that it just, you know, really did a lot for, for Saul. So mm-hmm. um, To realize he was appreciated. Yeah, exactly. And he's like a – I mean that console, even still, you know, it's all based on on the stuff that he did, you know – almost 50 years ago and and it's pretty phenomenal for that to be like a gold standard still i mean what analog gear is still viable you know not a lot of analog gear from back in the day yeah exactly he's one of the one of the giants you know you get your neves and you got your apis um so i just you know I just wanted to say a little bit of something about Saul because he was such a such a great guy, and it's definitely um, you know all these pioneers, and you know we're going to be losing them obviously as time goes on, and it's just really sad. It was great that he got to come to a was it AES last year? Yeah, because uh, he got to meet a ton of people, and people got to show him how much they appreciated him. Yeah, and it's just. He's just a great guy, and if you you know if you can go online and you can look at read about him on I think NYU has a has a little post about him and stuff. And I know how he, old was he? Do you know? I don't. He was know. in his eighties. Yeah, he he was he was up there, but um, just just a brilliant guy. Just mm-hmm. I'm so glad it's like to be able to spend two hours. It was definitely an honor, and I I definitely felt. Just I was in awe afterwards because mm-hmm. it's like it's like interviewing Ford for right. better the car, you know, and and um, yeah, so it's really great. Anyhow, segueing on from that, um, yeah, I, we're going to totally change it up a little bit because I want to talk about um, a concert that I saw, and yes, I'm going to admit to this, but um, but I saw Britney Spears in Vegas, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's a couple things I want to talk to you guys about, and I know Rob, it's probably acid right now to you, and I think and I think Bliss has seen the show too, but oh, yes. um, you have, but 
let me just say, first of all, a couple things. Um, I went into the Britney Spears concert pretty much with a, with an attitude of like, <laughs> come on, it's Britney Spears, right? And uh, I didn't expect much. But I will say it was one of the most entertaining shows I've been to in a long time. Just the production was phenomenal. And and really, it it blew me away. From the minute they started all the way through the whole show, it totally kept me captive. Now, I will tell you right off the bat that she probably, in real time, didn't sing hardly a lick. He was definitely on a track. I was going to say, it'd be it was like definitely... Festival of Backing Tracks. I would <laughs> exactly. think they'd be great backing tracks. They were, But you know what? That's my first thing. It's like... There's this whole thing about, you know, uh, people get upset because, you know, whether or not the artist is singing and, and whether or not you have backing tracks and things like that. And, and to be perfectly honest, uh, being a guy who's toured for years and years and years and I've been around live productions, give me a backing track. I want to hear a solid vocal, especially when you're doing that kind of music. Let's, I don't want to hear, you know, live vocals, they, Unless you're an amazing singer like a Celine Dion or a Stevie Wonder, they kind of suck a lot of times, you know, compared to what's on the record. And so she, you know, obviously it's that whole thing where you, you know, yes, she sings along with the track, you know, but you know in reality that it's probably way more track than it is her. Um, yeah, you also have to keep in mind that she's a singer, but she's also such a performer and such a dancer. Like yeah. her act is more dancing. Than it really is the singing, so yeah. you need the background tracks in order to keep up with all her oh, acrobatics. Yeah. Well, there's lots of uh, lots of her live vocal isolated tracks on YouTube. Yeah, oh, are there? Uh, yes, from from her live performances, and it's mostly her huffing and puffing, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and a few. Uh, a few vocals here and there that are kind of sort of around the, the notes. It's like people on a treadmill yeah. trying to sing. <laughs> yeah. but, 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 hey, but, but it's hard. You know what? I, I have to say, though, once I – someone pointed this out to me. that they, they showed me that, you know, the, these awful tracks of her. And I thought, wait a second. There has to be something more to this because – you don't get signed. You don't get where she is without some sort of talent. So I went back and I, I looked at her original demos. There's demo tapes of her. There, there's uh, before she hit there. And she, the girl had chops. Absolutely. At one point in time, she really had chops. I don't know if she has them now, but it, she could really belt it out when she was a kid anyway. You know what? She still has her chops. You know, you listen to her latest album and – and and even though her her vocals are heavily processed, you kind of have to have the 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 structure. You okay, I know something about that because a really good friend of mine recorded all that, recorded her, the vocals on her latest album, and he's an old pro. He he's kind of you know our age. I hate to say that, but he, he has eighteen Grammys, uh, so he knows his stuff. And he said that she was a total pro. She'd come in. She used the studio because it was in the neighborhood of where she lived, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't go to Hollywood. And he said that she was a total bro, pro. She'd come in. She'd ask the producer, a different one for every song, what they wanted, and she would give it to him, and she'd be gone an hour, an hour and a half. And he said, you know, it's just exactly what they wanted, and, and she gave it to him, and and then, you know, that was it. I, yeah, I mean, exactly. She definitely has, has some... Uh, 
some chops. And look, as much as people make fun of Britney Spears, she puts on a show that that literally blew me away. It was yeah, but phenomenal. after twenty five years, she should be pretty good. Yeah, and that's yeah, exactly. that's just it. I mean, like you've seen her right a couple times. Haven't yeah, you? I I have. I've seen her in concert growing up. I mean, I, she holds a special place in my heart because since I was ten years old, I mean, she's been a part of my life, ups and downs. You listen to her music, and uh, yeah, I grew up in the pop generation, and the fact that I mean, now in my life, I feel like my music taste has totally expanded, and it, pop is a very small part of it. But she really invents, reinvents herself all the time and keeps herself relevant in ways that I can't even believe. And the show was just really, truly phenomenal. Like, they remixed all the songs. They made fast songs, slow songs. And just for these songs I've heard a thousand times that, you know, maybe I didn't don't really care to hear that much anymore. They just they revamped them to a level that I want to buy the concert wow. album. And they don't offer that. So, Brittany, get on it, girl. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. No, it's it just – I. it's great to see the direction of live production and just to see the, the, the spectacle. And her band was just on the money. It was just – they were really good. And – Yes, they had some tracks, but also they were playing live too, and and it was it was pretty phenomenal. I'll tell you one thing that's amazing um, that you know it, this is nothing new, but visuals and music when you do them correctly are just it's so powerful. And and her show, um, the theater, you see the regular stage, and it was pretty cool. And I'm like, oh, this would be great, you know. And you open up, and you figure there's going to be a video wall or something like that. Well, being Las Vegas, you know how they do everything over the top? Mm-hmm. Literally, the projection was the whole wall of the whole arena. So just imagine if you have seen a picture of, let's say, Radio City Music Hall where you see the stage and you see the, the cone. Just imagine if everything surrounding that was a video wall. It was really amazing. It had projection mapping on it and had the most amazing graphics. And it was just it – was, it, was, it was phenomenal. And, and she put on such a great show. And, and yeah, it was just – it was very sophisticated because I remember going to concerts of hers growing up and just being like, that's cool, but it's kind of really... Like Kitty Poppish? Yeah, I just wasn't as impressed and this really blew me away on a sophistication level that mm. I hadn't mm. seen from her before. Um, so yeah, it was nice. That's pretty cool. All over the world, there are people now clicking off their podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But see, but the point is, is I, you know, I went in with an attitude, and that's the thing is, it's like I'm willing to give anybody a, a, a shot, and I think you should. I think if you if you really want to appreciate people and their performances, there's a reason why, you know, pop stars are pop stars. You know, there's a reason why well, they are where they're at. Yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, there's the whole thing of. Hits are hits for a reason. Yeah. They capture some magic that a lot of people like. So from the standpoint that you have to respect them even if you don't like the right. song or like the performer, you have to respect the fact that they captured some magic. Yeah, they figured and, out the formula. And and it's not easy because, hey, we'd all be doing it and we'd be doing it over and over if we, we knew that magic. And I'll tell you, if you're trying to make it music, especially if you want to do commercial music – you know, you need to listen to what's on the radio. You need to listen to what's happening now. And you need to listen to the people that are the megastars because there is just – there's some really smart things that people do. I mean the hooks, her melodic hooks are just – are killer, you know, and not just her, all – any of the big hits. I mean it's all in the melody. It's all in – can you sing along to it? It's all – you know, it speaks to you and stuff. On the top 40 though, uh, isn't it? That's, yeah, exactly. That's always been that way. Exactly. And yeah. it, that's that's the thing. I, it It – 
kills me when you have these people that that want to make it big in music, and yet they're so thumbing their nose at at you know what's out there and what's selling. Um, unless you're really unique and you're coming in with a totally different perspective, you know. Sometimes you're just you know trying to sell a snowball in a snowstorm. You know, it's just it's it's just not going to work. But anyhow, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Brittany. But so yeah, I, she's still got it. <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was pretty it was pretty impressive, um, but yeah, that whole tracking thing. I just think that's a that's a nonsense debate. I mean, Rob, does does it matter if you see a, a pop act whether or not they have live vocals or whether they have tape vocals? I mean, what's I what's mean a lot of times for a for a pop act, the record that's become a huge hit has many many layered vocals. So there's no way to actually reproduce it live. You can't have a singer singing like six vocals layered on top of each other. Right. So. I mean, for that kind of music, as long as the singer is is as long as you're not trying to deceive the audience, like in a situation like that show, everybody knows they're hearing tracks, and she's trying to sing along with it, and you know it's some mix of her singing and and not singing that doesn't offend me as much because they're not they're not trying to pretend it's something it's not so I don't know, I don't get so offended by it. I don't think it's like. I wouldn't rate it as like a great performance that goes down in the history books for the ages as a great performance. The experience for the audience may be great. Yeah. But if you're judging, like if you judge a Stevie concert based on the fact that he can still sing every song from Songs in the Key of Life 40 years later in the same key. Right. That's like an impressive, no, an impressive no. thing vocally. Yeah. What she's doing, she's an entertainer. The vocals are part of what's going on. I'd much rather it sound great. Than sound like her live. <laughs> that's, that's you know, if I have to sit through two hours of it, <laughs> that's kind of true. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I'm with you. I just don't think I, I, I just it really irks me when you hear that debate going on about tracks and non-tracks. Well, I'll tell you, there's something really impressive about an artist that can come out with no show whatsoever, with no production. And kill people just on the basis of their performance. And there aren't that I, many of them. I, there are not some, that many of them. But boy, when that happens, it's, it, it's magic. Yeah. There it were is. more, there used to be more than there are now. Sure. I mean, let's think about it. I mean, I mean Adele can do that. Adele can, yes, right. I mean, Adele, Stevie, Bruce. And as much as it makes me throw up in my mouth a little, <laughs> Lady Gaga kind of can too. Yeah. At times. Celine Dion? Oh, so. oh, but she's yeah, yes, you're right. She can. She has an amazing voice. I just hate what she does with it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure. You know what? I'm sure she puts on a great show, and she sings. I'm sure she sings because her voice is. Oh no, she really sings. Yeah, she, she can belt. I just can't to see her standing there thumping her chest in her little onesie drives me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but she does have an incredible voice. I just can't stand what she sings with it. <laughs> don't hold back because now we're gonna- <laughs> and don't no. go to Vegas <laughs> no. no I wouldn't go to her show in Vegas <laughs> sorry but uh, which reminds me Scott's not here because he's seen one of your favorite bands isn't that right Rob is he I'm excited for him yes he is he's out who's he-, he can report he can report back uh, next time how it works. wait who's he seeing again he's seeing Apparently they go by ARW, but it's John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, and Rick Wakeman. Yeah, 
Yep. So and it's I, like a subset of yes, I guess. And I'm just going to say this to the uh, audience out in the Audio Nowcast world, but it was quite a lovely discussion on the email thread. <laughs> it did <laughs> come up in an email chain, if I recall right. Between Rob and Scott. We have a slightly differing opinion. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. all right. But it'll be interesting to hear it's what gonna you think. It's going to be on it. WikiLeaks. <laughs> <laughs> <It> Maybe. <laughs> the interesting thing I want to hear from him because he has all these expectations about what it's going to be like because he he loved their music, you know, years ago, right? And you know, when you go see somebody so long after they were, you know, in the front of your consciousness, it's a different thing. Like at one point. Um, somehow I had, oh, I know what it was. I had helped him get tickets to see Sticks because he was a huge Sticks fan. And Stevie, somebody who had worked with Stevie, I guess his production manager, uh, was out with Sticks. So it was easy enough to get tickets. And Scott went to see them and was disappointed because <laughs> it was nowhere near what he had remembered and what his expectations were because he was remembering it from 20 years before right. and it's a different animal. Um, so it's going to be interesting with this group to see if it's the same kind of thing, or maybe they live up to it. I mean, you know, it's funny you say that about Sticks. I was uh, flipping through the TV and I saw, I think it was on MTV, Sticks was doing Pieces of Eight and Grand Illusion back to back. And uh, it, it was great, actually. Yeah, but it, it actually sounded, I, I thought it sounded fine. So, how I long ago was that? Uh, it was recent, actually. Yeah. It was in the last year or two that the, no. the show was uh, filmed. That being said, you know there's a lot of post production yeah, involved. But, obviously. but even so, it, yes, they were they're good. They were good. Yeah, yeah. I have this good. visceral reaction to uh, what's his name, Dennis. He's not in the band anymore. He's I know. Not. Yeah, but that's what soured it for me. For yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who sings and, his parts now? Just uh, they got they this, got a new guy. Yes, they got this guy who was kind of a Canadian star that uh, sings like him yeah. and plays keyboards and fits right in. And I, I always wonder with. With a guy like that, like Dennis from Sticks, or uh, what's his name from uh, Journey? Steve Lee Perry. Singer, Steve Perry. Steve Perry, yeah. Um, how they must feel, because you know they have this whole giant ego and this attitude, like, you can't yeah. do this without me. Yeah. And then the rest of the band says, um, newsflash, we're doing it without <laughs> That's you. That's right. And the audience doesn't seem to mind. No. <laughs> well, in the case of Journey, Journey's huge still. Yeah, I mean, and they everybody's... Play, you know, but like, imagine being Steve Perry sitting at home like... Um, I guess, I guess that chip sailed without me. <laughs> well, 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 speaking of yes, you know, I happened to be flipping around, and there was a yes concert without John Anderson, right? Where they had somebody else that they got in there who sounded just like him, and uh, as far as he was concerned, he was great, and you just couldn't tell. Uh, the band looked like they were not having a good day. They they looked like they had seen their better days. Let's put it mm-hmm. like that. You know, they're just not into it and. Not involved. Wow. Done it too many times. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you before we take a break. Um, do you guys still go to shows? Do you go to Do you go to concerts still, Rob? Not very often. Because just because you don't have time, basically. Or is well, it- it's partly that I don't have time. Partly because I just it feels like going to work. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I can't take the crowds. Yeah. I could never really take the crowds, yeah. but. Um, I mean, in all the time when I was working with the misses, I was actually mixing their live sound, and I was going to a lot of shows. With them, and that was fun to be involved again. But I don't find it relaxing to have to deal with the venues and stuff. So it's pretty rare. I mean, I'll still go to things at the Hollywood Bowl and, right. and you know big events sometimes. But it's definitely not on my short list of things I do for fun. What about you, Bobby? You still? Uh, rare, but uh, if Chicago's in town, I'm a big fan, so I try to catch them. I just saw them at the Hollywood Bowl for Fourth of July, which was 
you know, pretty good. Speaking of which, so there's Chicago, and of course Peter Cetera leaves, so they bring in uh, uh, Jason. Uh, I can't think of his last name, but he's been with him for 25 years. Sounds just like Peter Cetera. Right. He wasn't at the show. They had somebody that replaced the replacement. <laughs> wow. Who's, who sang all the same parts, sang lead in all the same songs, sounded just like him, played wow. just like him. Yeah, yeah, they just slipped him right in, didn't matter. And the same thing with uh, the trumpet player, or the, the, uh, the sax player, different sax player. So well, just, if they do it long enough, eventually Peter Cetero will come in to replace the 15th replacement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, apparently they asked him to come back for the Hall of Fame uh, uh, induction, and uh, they couldn't come to terms. He, that he, stuff he, drives me nuts. Like, what do you have better to do for one <laughs> night? Give me a break. Well, what he wanted to do was to change the key in all the songs that he sang. And they basically said, nah, we have to change horn, horn parts and stuff like that. In a band like that, it's actually a fair amount of work. Yeah, although yeah. So they're they really said, good nah, players. never mind. Easier wow. to change a singer. Yeah. So, uh, so Chicago. If it's not Chicago, then you're just not going to go there. No, I, I'll <laughs> no, go un, under certain circumstances. Yeah. I mean, for the, the right. Uh, I mean, I have to say that a lot of it has to do with um, if I can't get really good seats, I'm not really interested Mm-hmm. I mean, really good, meaning I got to be up in front. So the hair, you know, on my head kind of gets blown back. <laughs> I, 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 Bobby, know, that's pretty awesome. I, I like to get that feeling where I. You like you the know, mosh pit, don't you? I like being around it, yeah. <laughs> but, you like starting it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, again, one of the big problems is. If I have to pay five hundred dollars for one of those tickets, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I, if someone is willing to give me a, a deal on something or give me some tickets, yeah, I, I'm listening. You, one thing I will say is, once you're in the industry for a while, generally any of the relationships you build, especially early in your career, if you do touring early and you're with talented people, they generally will fan out, and over time you'll realize that you know people involved with most of the big tours out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Until they start. Leaving the big tours. Yeah, well, well, well the there aren't as many big tours. <laughs> but it's it's funny. It's a pretty small network of people. If you've been in the industry for a while, you you probably know someone involved with just about every major tour. Yeah. No, that's true. It's a, it's a family. Bliss, what about you? You see a lot of live shows? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. I, I try to go to shows as often as possible. The most um, recent show I saw in L.A. was uh, the Alabama Shakes at the Greek. Mm. See, them I'd like to see. Yeah. They were They're really good. Amazing. Were like, they? blew my mind. Like, I, you just it, – it, I closed my eyes. It was like I was listening to the recorded album. Like, they were just so on. We were so close. It was a birthday present for my best friend to go, so we were second row. And just the Greek is so intimate, intimate and beautiful, and the sound was just amazing. And – I just rocked out and had to get a T-shirt and a poster. <laughs> I mean, that's a sign that I know it was a good. Concert. You're the perfect fan. I want to just live it forever, like a, with a poster or T-shirt or, or awesome hat, just something to always live through it. Like that's a show I would have seen. Actually, there aren't that many things that would sort of get me out of the out of the house. Well, that, at least to be would... real players playing and singing, real players and, and, and solid songs yeah. and a really good sounding place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and a little bit of soul, a little bit of yeah, yeah. No, that, that would do it for me too. 
And uh, another show. But I'd want to be dropped in by helicopter. Like I don't want to deal with the traffic. And <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it, again, that's horrible. That... Especially yeah, that's especially the Greek. Yeah. It's bad. It was bad. <laughs> that's actually where I found my really funny, like, $5 T-shirt. That's like a baseball shirt from – that's just awesome. All the other shakes because it just took so long to get there and you just find really cool things on your way down so, the hill. Yeah, it's a real time commitment. <laughs> but um, another really cool show, too, that I wanted to mention was um, The Beatles. Love show in Vegas. Oh, that, oh, yeah. that is great. Cirque yeah. Du Soleil. Yeah, Cirque du Soleil. I, I have friends, actually, Martin Uchik, uh, who we have to have back on the podcast one of these uh, weeks, but he was on ages ago. Every time he goes to Vegas for the NAB show or any other reason, he sees the love show again. And I didn't realize that that show evolves, that they actually change it over time. So. Yeah. Uh, it's been around over 10 years. Yeah, and it's it's a never ending change. Uh, that they do to it. It's pretty cool. I got a behind-the-scenes tour. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. And probably the most interesting part was the fact that they rebuilt – or they, they built a exact copy of Abbey Road Studio 3 control room downstairs. Wow. And apparently the security was designed by MI5 because – they had the whole Beatles catalog there and they figured it was worth a billion dollars. So when they're rehearsing and everything, they, they black out all of the, uh, the radio transmission so you can't use your cell phone, stuff like that. Oh and, and to and get, they actually do all the production work there? Yeah. And to get into the studio, it was face print, uh, iris print. <laughs> uh, really, it was all that stuff. And, 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 you know, so they took us everywhere but there. They said, I'm oh, sorry, you know, he just, you can't get in that part, but we'll show every, everything else. Wow. And, and it was great, I got to say. It, it was uh, you know, a lot of fun to see the show and then kind of see That's behind a, the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that show a gazillion times. I, I, I love it. I love the Beatles. What did you think of it? I mean, honestly, it was so funny because I've had <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I've had the album for like a few years and uh, – Ultimately, I listen to it all the time and I love it. But then I remember getting in the seats and so excited to see it. But I sat down and I just was thinking to myself, what on earth is going to happen here? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you right, just right. have no clue how yeah. these songs are going to come to life. And, you know, it's going to be something great. But you just you're kind of, I don't know, waiting with ant- great anticip- anticipation. And so when the music starts and you just you see everything come to life, it's like a way of reliving the Beatles and now whenever I listen to the songs, it's like you see this beauty from the movement of these. It's like art on stage. I was just in awe of it. Although that got panned badly. Everyone said when it first came out, the music is great, but the stage show, I don't know so much. When I saw it, I didn't think that. I thought, wow, I, you know, I think it goes together well. I think they did a good job. So You I, I know, I, when I saw it and, and the most recent time that I saw it, it was phenomenal and it was and even for me like even when i go with people who haven't seen it before half the fun is just especially if they're a beatles fan is just seeing their reaction because it's just it's so like boy you're gonna be just your mind is gonna be blown and it's just it's such a it's really emotional and i'll tell you at the end of the show i don't know if you had this kind of experience but when you see they have these screens that drop down and you see each one of the Beatles is on the screen and and it encompasses their their lives and the band and culture and and it's kind of bittersweet really it, it it's for me it was very emotional it was very bittersweet because the music is so awesome and and what you see is such an amazing production and yet you're like 
you're not going to see this again. And it's almost like what a shame that it had to end when it ended. And- yeah. I'll give you something else that's bittersweet about that. Um, uh, Ken Scott, who's one of the five Beatle engineers, told me the story that when the, he went to the premiere, he was invited to the premiere of, of Love. And when he looked at the playbill and, and looked at all the credits, there was everybody involved and everybody but the person that delivered pizzas, except for the five Beatle engineers. They were never credited in any of that. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? And they still haven't been, yeah. That is wow. absolutely outrageous. Yeah. That's that's unfortunate. Yeah. That that's yeah. Wow. Whose doing is that? I mean, that I wonder if it was an oversight. I mean, cuz I wonder if they like they licensed the music, so No, actually it goes back to the time where engineers were not credited on anything that EMI did. So if you look at all just about all of the album jackets in the original Beatle records, you don't see anything that says anything gives a credit. Um to the engineers and of course they never got their gold and platinum albums either any of those things because they just didn't they do credited. that back then wow yeah wow well anyway that is such an injustice because it's obviously so much more than just an album jacket at this point i mean it's a piece of history well having said that like i've, I've said this on the podcast before though it's the the sound in that place is so phenomenal yeah. and you'll never hear the beatles sound is as amazing yeah. as yeah. they do i mean overall when you saw the show bliss what was your like emotionally what do you think were you into it or was oh that- it was such an emotional experience it was like an awakening i felt like i mean i hadn't lived with the beatles they you know my whole life like i mean through my parents they fight over like whose album is whose like that's like a major point of dispute between them but i mean meaning like when they were out and live you know and um i've grown up with them and just to see them in that way was so special. And it was also, like you said, bittersweet because their music is so powerful and so timeless. And it just made you realize, like, I mean, we aren't, and two of the Beatles aren't here. And it just made me sad because I'll never get to see them live together. And um, But that was just a way in making their music come to life in a way that was different and beautiful. And um, Have you just, seen Paul McCartney? I haven't, but that's something I have to do. Yeah, Paul McCartney is as close as you're going to get because his band is excellent and they do reproduce all those songs about as closely as you can without the original people. And it's, you know, of all the concerts I've ever seen, if you you rank them 1 through 10, 10 being the best, he was an 11. Wow. 12, easy. Well, I know what my next concert is going to be. Yeah, I probably yeah, just it, have to save a lot of money. That, that's worth it, yeah. <laughs> and I still I'm haven't taking donations Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and I still haven't seen the love show, so you can take me, Mike, and uh, watch my reaction. I will absolutely. I would love to see it actually. right after the Britney show. <laughs> yeah, oh, perfect. <laughs> we'll do. And a- then Celine Dion is the final. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a, a Britney Beatles. <laughs> Only if ARW can be the opening after that. Yeah. Right. And then Boys to Men. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Brit- we'll do BBC Britney Beatles and Celine. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, on that note. Oh, no, no, we'll take a break. It's just getting silly. <laughs> All right, well, hey, uh, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, I got a couple things. But one thing we're going to talk about, um, and I'll spring this on you guys, is we're going to talk about um, finding a job. And I know we've covered it, but there's a little angle I want to talk about. So uh, we'll uh, talk about that on the other side. So we'll see you on the other side. 
You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking uh, Brittany and Beatles and Celine. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Russian Journey and Yes and... You know, every once in a while we have these conversations during the break, and we actually do take a break. And uh, we were just now talking about um, one of the world's most boringest jobs, and uh, and that's recording VO. And like, it's super important. Don't get me wrong; I don't want to, you know, get people mad. But come on, guys, is that not the worst thing in the world to record is voiceover? It's pretty mind numbing, right? It's because it has to be good. It's not like you can just right. not pay attention. But it's often well. Well, wait. Number. If you're directing it, it's one thing because at least you're engaged. Yeah, you're doing. But if something. you're if you're recording it, you set it up and then what do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. sit and you wait. You play Tetris. The, yeah. You know the only like if you're doing branding stuff and you're doing voiceover for a commercial, that's almost a little fun because then you're you're keeping track of takes and yeah. then you're kind of active and like you know you'll have the, the creative director will say hey can we take you know take four of the first part and, and put it with take and also it's and relatively you know, short yeah it's not like a long long thing but man let me just tell you you know who my heroes are the guys that do books on tape okay i can't because imagine i could not in, a, in any way shape or form I, I i just could not process recording a book on tape i have a guest somebody who does it uh, really? I should need, bring him. Yes. You know what? Yes. Seriously, I will yes, shake seriously. that guy's hand because okay. he's the most awesome person in the whole – or girl's hand. He, he also does a lot of ADR specifically for <laughs> for Australia. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I mean this guy managed to get this gig where he got one Australian guy who was based in the States that had to do something for the equivalent of NBC Australia. And it's – it went so well that all of a sudden he got every single television station and, and every single film company. If it's Australian, if the, and if there's Australians here, they use him. But he also does books on tape. Oh, <laughs> wow, books, around the middle. Because yeah. you know the thing about books on tape, and I listen to books on tape. I, I like them. I have a uber long commute, and I like to listen to them. They're usually edited pretty dang good. You yeah. never hear any of any of the mistakes. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the stuff that's out there, guys, whoever you are, you do a great job. Yeah. But man, that, is that that might be the most mind-numbing <laughs> job I could think of in the audio audio industry would be removing breaths from books on tape. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> but see, here's the thing. You know, when you edit when you edit dialogue, uh, especially if you edit long form, because I've done a lot of long form stuff. You know. It's a fine line between how much of a breath you do edit, you know? Well, on long because, form, you don't worry about it like on Well, on sometimes short you form. do, though, because it all depends on how that, like, in, in between words, like in between sentences, if they do a big inhale and exhale, obviously you're going to take that out. But some, some people have a really natural cadence and they can breathe and if talk If it sounds natural, time. you generally can leave it alone. And I've heard we're, you know, there's nothing worse than hearing something that's been edited all the breaths out. Yeah, right, it just right. sounds, Then it sounds so like natural. hell. Well, yeah, you're just like, like a robot. Did, did, did you see the thing at AES by Audionamics where what they do is instead of – in order to get rid of breaths and noises and stuff like that, where usually what they'll do is 
a piece of software, an algorithm, will look at the things in between the words and it will pull it out, mm-hmm. all the artifacts. This works just the opposite. What it tries to do is it boosts up the level of the dialogue and keeps the background at the same level so all the oh, ums so and all that sounds more natural so it, basically you're not you don't have to worry about editing you just raise that level of so it's sort of like a smart expander yeah basically that, well that's kind of crazy y- yeah it's yeah, kind of yeah. brilliant at the same time yeah. but that's it's definitely, it's a different way of looking at it and, yeah. and it's definitely cool yeah i mean but what if it's a really hard you know or something that you're trying to match and then it has to well I'm sure it doesn't work on everything <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hey if it gets you you know even three quarters of the way there it saves you a heck of a lot of time oh god I mean as you say trying to edit out all that stuff and if you can eliminate half of that you're in good shape it takes a I mean there are definitely careers for people who have that kind of patience like even just dialogue editing for features and yeah. stuff I yeah. mean you're working on a very creative product, but it's just mind-numbing to me. Well, you know, I started off as a dialogue editor, and and the the challenge of a dialogue editor is to is really to make the um, the mix minus dialogue, you know, to backfill everything. I mean, that's where your challenge is. Yeah. You have to backfill all the dialogue so that you can pull out the dialogue. And that's the tricky sound. part for being yeah. able to deliver an M and E or yeah. to yeah to deliver a. Version without dialogue. Yeah, and then you're cutting your production effects out, and you're and you're that to me that was actually made it kind of fun um, for the first thirteen films. And I was going to la- say it's yeah. overwhelming. Though. <laughs> and then the last, I mean, if you go to my IMDb page, I've got some real, <laughs> I got some real doozies there. Poison Ivy three, yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> you weren't quite skilled enough to do one and two, but you nailed three. <laughs> got it. <laughs> <laughs> Really good. <laughs> I mean, those kinds of projects made me want to get back into music. Honestly, I did. I did that for a while. Yeah. And this place is set up, you know, for post mixing and right. film mixing and stuff. And it was fun. Oh, I actually showed you some of the yeah, stuff. Yeah. No, done. you did a great job too. But it, I was ready to go back to music after that. Well, and let's face it, Rob, you were way overqualified. Seriously, like your first movie was like it was a B movie, and and it sounded phenomenal. I <laughs> well, mean, but, it was it was really good. But I did it just to see if I could do it. I mean, it's good in your career every now and then to just branch out and try something new. I didn't think it was going to take as long as it took. We were on it for months, but um, I just did it for something fun to do and different to do. But it definitely made me want to come back to music after that. We on a flat fee? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, learn that Which lesson. makes it even worse. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Let's, well, let's do another 30 days on this. We should have it done. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people if you're going to do a flat fee, you better make sure it's a number that if this project goes twice as long as it's supposed to go, that you're not ready to kill yourself yeah, and everybody yeah. you're working with. Wait, movie, pr- movie production going off schedule? I know. That seems impossible. <laughs> what? That's crazy. I know. It's crazy talk. <laughs> you know, I worked for a production company, I mean a sound company called Up Sound Mind when I first you know, started working. And we were doing one or two movies a week. Wow. We would and you know who else worked Where there? Where quality is job seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I'll tell you who like the Samsung of <laughs> <laughs> Sound by the pound is what that is. Well, I will say, um Paul Otteson, who won the Academy Award for um Hurt Locker for Sound, also does the uh Spider Man. He started there. He was in the you know, I was dialogue and he was in the next edit room you over to he learn, was doing sound. You learn to work quick, I guess. Absolutely. You work quick, you work fast and you don't ask questions, you know, and that was the, it was the whole, man, it's like, it was like an army because it's like, all right, this guy, 
this guy quit. So next person up. This guy got fired. Next person up. I got I got nominated for Golden Reel because literally I walked into work one day and the um, owner of the company said, you're now the dialogue supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> Last one standing. Because the dialogue supervisor that they had before um, quit. Because, you know, it's it was hellacious. And I just – I'll never forget. It's like, okay, what do I do? Oh, you got to go supervise the ADR session. Um, I had exactly zero sessions under my belt at that time. So it was it was the worst. Like it was, yeah, great to sheer fear. And, <laughs> and my very first ADR job, um, I went and I saw I, – I, that afternoon they had a session and I just kind of saw a little bit. But I had to work with Eric LaSalle. We were doing this um, this basketball movie called Rebound, and I had to go to Warner Brothers to their ADR stage, and I had to supervise it. And it was the most intense, like scary moment of my time. And I showed up early, and at that time Eric was doing ER, so I showed up to the ADR session just to see what it was like, just to like how yeah, do they, what do they do? Exactly, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> and it scared me because. Um, the little stages that we were used to, everybody would sit in the control room, right? Yeah. <laughs> I go to Warner Brothers and first of all, they do ADR in a gymnasium. Yeah, right, right. I mean, the thing is huge. The yeah. screen is like, you know, 15 feet by 20 feet. And then I see this little desk over there and that's, that's my desk. And then they have a headphone thing and it doesn't have the full headphone. It just has one ear. Well, obviously, cause you're supposed to hear the, the reference on this side and you're supposed to hear what they're doing on that. And so I'll never, ever forget – and I think I've told this on the podcast, but I'll say it again if you haven't heard. Um, I'm sitting there. I have my hand up here and I'm so nervous. Everybody's over there. Eric LaSalle's there. You know, they have the engineer. That, and it's not just the engineer, but they also have the assistant engineer. I mean there's more people there than a, you know, a choir. It was crazy. And I'm shaking. I'm so nervous. My hand, my hand shaking. I'm just going like this. And so we roll the first line. And uh, so the very first thing I go is, okay, let's do the first one on one. Because at that time, it was 24 track and you yell at the tracks that you want. So you tell the engineer, you know, blah, blah, blah on track one, track two. And you're supposed to keep track of the tracks so that you don't, you know, record over. <laughs> so we do the very first line and it's like okay i forgot the actress who um it's actually she's pretty famous now um who was the very first talent um but we roll the very first line my hand shaking she does the line and i'll never forget everybody turns and looks at me right cuz i'm the adr supervisor right, you're supposed right? to say if it was good enough and so everybody looks at me and i look over and i see everybody looking at me and all of a sudden, I just like, you know what? That was good. Let's try another one. <laughs> you can never go wrong with that right. line. Yeah, right? Exactly. It's like all of a sudden, I just caught my breath, and I'm yeah. like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sink on this thing. Yeah. If anything, you just go a little bit over the top. So I was like, that was good. Let's try, let's try another one. Can never go wrong. And uh, and sure enough, we just all rolled. And then once I kind of figured it out, it yeah, was really good. Yeah, you get your good. rhythm. It was really good. And at that time, I will say they had some really crack engineers that were working the uh, the ADR recording. And a couple times I'd go like, okay, we're going to do this on seven. And then the engineer goes, you mean on six? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, on six, because he was keeping track so that <laughs> right. we wouldn't punch over on anything. You know, and was, was Eric LaSalle probably... good to work with? Was he easy? Or... Well, he was great. It was great. And I worked with Don Cheadle, and I worked with Forrest Whitaker. I mean, all these heavyweights, and it's like mm. nothing like doing uh, <laughs> on-the-job training, you know? Well, it's it's and, one thing if you're doing it, you know, your own studio, your own little stage, yeah. but to go onto a a big stage at Warner's or one where day. there's money being burned. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that, that's I've, different. That's intimidating. Yeah. Just walking on, on one of those lots to begin yeah. with. If you're yeah, it's intimidating. Totally yeah. confident in what you're doing. Wow. Was it Wendy Raquel Robinson, the actress that you were I, recording? Yeah, Megan. I, Mul- I'm looking at IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> Megan Mullally. Uh, it could have been. I don't, I don't see anyone famous on but, here that I recognize. <laughs> 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 but um, but yeah, but. Also worked with Chick Hearn, you know. He yeah, was, yeah, yeah. He was, and and uh, yeah, just all these big. I mean, it was crazy. It was literally like just the worst on the job training and the best all at the same time. I mean, and and you go on the Warner Brothers lot and you feel like a million bucks, and and it was just crazy. I had a job uh, kind of like that as well. I I was uh, got. I was used to used to be based out of Front Page Recorders in in Glendale. And uh, so I do all my projects, and if I didn't have a project, I'd just go hang out because that was that's what I did. That was my place. And uh, one day, somebody said to me, "Hey, uh, we're going to do a voiceover, and we're going to have uh, Adrian Beltry come in. Adrian Beltry from the Dodgers, third baseman from the Dodgers. This was he, when he was a rookie, and so he came in, and he didn't speak English hardly at all, and he's trying to read this." All English dialogue. <laughs> and it was just like the old Saturday Night Live baseball been very, very, very good, good to, to me. me. <laughs> I, honest to God, it was that. And so all of a sudden, it's me. I'm, I'm, I thought of engineering, but now I'm, I'm the director, mm-hmm. too. So I'm trying to get this guy to speak, and it's, uh, it's a commercial, and, and he cannot do it. And this poor guy is just totally... Like phased, he just doesn't know what to do. And his agent is there, and finally his agent pulled me aside and said, "Okay, I think this is not going to work." I said, yeah, good call, good call. This is not, yeah, this is not, not going to work. work. But you know what was surprising was this guy limps in. I mean, he he was limping, and. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he could play. So at the end, the agent says, "Oh, hey man, thanks so much. Here's some tickets for tonight's game." Okay, so I go, and I'm thinking, we're never going to see this guy because yeah, he, he, could, he, he could barely walk. And he's out in the field like nothing ever happened. I, it was unbelievable. Like wow. in three hours, all of a sudden, he, he's back to being, you know, Superman. Wow. And before, he could hardly, you know, walk in or sit down. All that cortisone. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That's, no, that's amazing. Hey, Rob, what about you? You ever have any jobs like that? Like the ultimate on-the-job training where you just go from zero to have to be – um, well, yeah, early in my career, cause Stevie used to throw me into situations, uh, like that, you know, these giant stars would come over to work f- with him. And I was this kid who didn't know any, anybody or anything. And I was learning really fast, but yeah, I remember, I mean, one of the early ones was Herbie Hancock had come over and Stevie had some new synths and I had never even played with them. Like he just bought them and they were in the trunk of his car and he said, set them up for Herbie, and Herbie wants to play with them. And so it's like the first time I meet Herbie Hancock, and he wants to sit and play with these synths, and he says, like, give me this kind of sound. It's like, 
I just took the synth out of the, synth out of the box. I know nothing about how this works. And you're going up and down. Okay, where's that horn sound? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, and that even happened in the early days, like when I first started with Stevie with the Synclavier. I forget, someone huge had come over, Michael Jackson or somebody, and it was my job all of a sudden to make something happen with the Synclavier. But I had just started playing with the Synclavier. I didn't know much about it. So I used to get thrown in the deep end all the time <laughs> like that. And what I learned is to just be honest with people. Like I'd say, look, I'm going to do everything I can to make this happen. You should just know I'm brand new. I've never played with this thing before. You know, if you try to act like you're something you're not, you always get yeah, yeah. uncovered. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was just pretty honest with You him. know what? I don't know, though. Because <laughs> I, I don't think in my session if I said, hey, guys, I don't really know what I'm well, doing. I, well, no, you don't say it in the session. You say it to the people who are going to throw you into the session. I, I, well, I have a good one, sort of like that. I was asked to fill in. This is early when I came to L.A., early 80s, and uh, I was an independent. And there was a guy, a friend of mine, who was a staff engineer at a media house, and, and they did mostly commercials and voiceover and stuff like that. He said, okay, I'm going on vacation. Can you fill in for two weeks? I said, yeah, sure. Hey, steady work for two weeks. No problem. So I go in, and, and you know, it's scope commercials, and it's, you know, just regular voiceovers and an interesting array of people who'd come in, no problem. And then one day it's like, okay, we're recording on a satellite. What? Well, uh, we're recording on a satellite, and it's going to happen in a couple hours. W- well, how does that work? Well, a satellite comes over, and we bounce a signal off of it, and they record it someplace else. It's okay. I don't quite get this, but all right. So it turns out that way back when, and this is before ISDN or right. any of that stuff, they would use a satellite, and which would mean if you were booked from 11 to 12, it started at exactly 11, yeah. 11 and exactly 12, it stopped because the satellite is no longer there, right? right? Yeah. So it, it goes a little a, a little crazier than that because then it's bouncing off the satellite but the ad agency is actually in Las Vegas so they're on the phone on a speakerphone and then suddenly it's like well we're recording it in Seattle off the satellite but can you record it as well okay so I, it's all taped so I get the tape machine going and we go through this and somewhere in the middle they said oh, can you make an edit and, and just make it a half second shorter me? yeah yeah, yeah. okay so I go over and I cut it and I make it a half second shorter. And you cut the tape. I cut the tape. Oh my goodness! And um, and he said, uh, "We don't like that. Uh, put it back." And I can't find the tape. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a little piece like this. Yeah, I can't like find it. <laughs> and I'm looking all over the place for it. The, the, it's cl- the time is clicking down. Click, 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 click. As it's getting getting close to the end of the hour. <laughs> Satellite's and, going over. And the people in Las Vegas on who are listening on the phone, they're going crazy. They're going, what's going on over there? What's going on? We don't hear anything happening. What's going on? I'm sweating because I can't find this piece of tape. I'm looking everywhere for it. And it turns out it kind of fluttered down behind a tape machine. And, and, and I don't know why I even thought to look, but it was in behind the tape machine. Thank God I found it. And I put it back in. And 
just right down to the last 30 seconds of that satellite. We, we got it, and, and it was done. And I was like, at the end, I'm thinking, oh, God, is it every day going to be like this? And it turns out it wasn't. That was the only day we did that. But thrown in, not knowing what to Trial expect or know how any of that would work, you, you know? It's, it's, you know what? I just thought of another one, too. No, no, you so, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Well, you just brought back memories. The first time I ever worked with a giant symphony orchestra for a huge trailer for Sony. I think it was the first Godzilla trailer, maybe. And it was the first time I'd done anything like that. And so the orchestras in L.A. have kind of an attitude. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you got all these seasoned players who played on every single movie. You know, you look out at this orchestra and they've played on every movie you've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, right. And here you are coming in as this kid and they're sizing you up. Yeah, like you right. walk in and they haven't even heard what you've written yet. So, you know, I walk into Sony. It was the MGM scoring stage. And it's like almost, a, I think it was a 9,500 piece orchestra, something like that. And, you know, the uh, Brad Warner was a friend of mine who I had hired to conduct so I could stand in the control room. But my name's on the sheet music. And then Brad introduces me to the orchestra and they're all like, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that was like a moment of terror because they're all looking at me like, who is this kid? And I was really young at the time. And, it scared the heck out of me. And we also had one hour. It wasn't because there was a satellite involved. It's because the orchestra was costing $25,000 an hour. Yeah. And Sony said, you have one hour. And with the union people, it may as well be a satellite passing overhead because as soon as the union steward says we're done, then yeah, we're done. Yeah. So we had that same limitation. You got to get this done in an hour. There were all these technical problems in the beginning. So oh. the first few takes got ruined. The Sony 48 tracks weren't syncing up and all this other stuff was going on. Same kind of thing. We got it done in the last possible moment. I think we went like five seconds over, and the union let it go. Because um, <laughs> they could have they stopped. Yeah, yeah, they, they could have stopped. Yeah. But they realized if, if they stopped, we weren't going to get it, and I was probably just going to die. And then <laughs> afterwards, when they heard the music and the orchestra liked the music, they you know then they warmed up and they became nice. And actually, we ended up hiring the same people for a few trailers after that. Yeah. So then I was in, endeared to them, I guess. But... It was so much pressure to have all these, like, the number one players in L.A. just, like, critiquing me and cutting me down and having known nothing about me, never heard anything I wrote. Right. But just saying, he's a new kid, we're just going to give him a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> well, the... Intense. Okay, coming to the stories, the first time I'm thrown in on, I think it was a Ford commercial. And this is, when you're doing commercials, everything's in three-hour blocks. The first hour, you record the, right. the backing track. The second hour is all the, the overdubs, which are usually vocals. The third hour is mixing. And, and it's done. And basically, in that first hour, they're in 20-minute segments. So there's you, maybe you'll do three backing tracks, but you can only do one per 20, 20 minutes or else the union scale changes. So it, it's all really crazy with all this. So... I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm used to doing music dates where you have lots of leeway. And all of a sudden, it's getting time to do it. And I don't have sounds yet. And all of a sudden, I have uh, a kick drum mic that's not working. And all of a sudden, th there's, <laughs> there's noise on the guitar mic. And everything is going south. Mm -hmm. And the producers look at me like, okay, come on, where do you go? Let's, let's go. So I, 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 I'm going, I, uh, I don't know what... You know, and it's kind of like you have to go out and just make do, make, yeah. make it work. And so after a couple minutes of futzing around and then having people get very antsy and very 
anxious, it was like, okay, we'll just make this work somehow and just get down and do it. Because otherwise, and, and then we get to the second half hour and it's five vocalists that come in. And one kind of had a lisp <laughs> and couldn't pronounce V's right. <laughs> and so the, I don't remember what the line was, but it was V heavy and or F heavy, whatever, one of those. And they kept on looking at me like, what's the problem? And I'm going like, well, uh, you know, it's, it's not me. It's not, not my stuff. But already we had established that, okay, the first half was not great, so right, it so must be everything is your fault. Yeah. So, boy, talk about trial by fire. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Hey, Bliss, I know you've done production. Do you have any, any stories, any trial uh, by fire I stuff? mean – Tons. Do we have all night? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess uh, one that comes to mind is um, I was working for a production company here in Burbank, and uh, they we were going to do a cooking show, and we were going to shoot in New Orleans for a year. So I moved to New Orleans, and it's like, hey, Bliss and a producer moved to New Orleans. Go. These are our dates we're going to shoot. This is what we want to shoot. Go find the location. Go find the people. Go find the editors. Go find everything and make it happen now. So that all happened. <laughs> and uh, it, it ended up by going really well. But I just remember every single night before everyone would fly in from L.A., if everything was not perfectly done and I just – my mind would just wander. I couldn't sleep before because I'd just be so worried that if if anything happened, it would be my fault. And so I just – I it was – pretty intense. That's a lot of pressure, especially having to field crews and stuff like that. Because yeah, you didn't know everything. the crews, right? I mean, you never worked with these people before. It was it was really crazy, and it, it was a learning and growing experience for sure. And it was Louisiana because of the tax uh, right. incentive. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like they have one shop where you can have – there's gear. So it's like it's open really odd hours. So if you need something, mm-hmm. stat, it's <laughs> unlikely that you're going to have it. Like if you're running low on tapes – and it's like 5 p.m., you're screwed. Well, what's really interesting is you, you get all of these state agencies, the fil- state film agencies that think, oh, we'll just give them a tax incentive and, and, every- and Hollywood's going to come here and do their movies, which, yes, they do, but they don't think about all those other things. Okay, you don't have the infrastructure there to really right. support this. You, right. know, the, you need all these other things to make this actually work. So then when people get pissed and, and go, eh, maybe it's not worth the money to go there, then they can't quite understand you know, that actually leads into what I was going to talk about. All these stories kind of lead into what I was going to talk about when it talks to employment because I actually had a uh, um, a listener email me and was asking about, you know, they wanted to get into um, movie music, you mm-hmm. know, make it music for movies and things like that and um, whether or not it was worthwhile to, to move to L.A. or, you know, send um, – um, Austin, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Austin? No, they were talking about the music scene in Austin and, yeah. and you know whether what what you know what I thought and I'm like I'll make a lot Look, of movies in Austin. No. Well, it, because of technology and the fact that apparently there's someone over there who does it and and satellites. You know, has the satellite, well, yeah, the <laughs> internet and things like that. My thing is is like go where the jobs are at, right? If you're going to if you want to make movies, if you want to do soundtracks, you got to come to LA because of exactly these experiences cuz you need to be thrown in. You need to you need yeah. to be in a situation where you're going to elevate 
up, where you're going to get thrown up. You know, you're going to be able to put yourself in a situation. So it cracks me up when people, if you go on boards and you talk about doing music and stuff, and you know, people on the on the on the boards, it's like, oh no, you don't have to do that with blah 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 blah. And I work on this, and I'm over in Pennsylvania. No, once you this. have a career and a following and loyal clients, maybe then you can move to wherever you want, and they'll follow you. But they're not going to come to you. There's so many amazingly talented people. In the cities that are really doing right, it. and you got to be there. You got to network, yeah. right? Yeah. And getting a career, um, getting a career in something that you love, especially like audio and, and music and things like that. It's it's a really fine line. There's like little jobs, little things that kind of separate you from you know being totally missing the boat. I mean, if I hadn't been able to do that job, if I hadn't worked for that one place, if I haven't put my, you know, I would have never gotten the ADR stuff and I would never have been able to build upon that. And then that actually would have never gone into mixing because of, of everything that kind of happens. And you got to put yourself in a situation where you can have those kind of serendipitous moments. Because I tell you, most people that I talk to, you know, and including everybody around here, their career is kind of built on moments like that. Mm. It really is. It's like you just never know when that happens. So if you want to do a job, if you want to work in Hollywood or if you want to work in music, you got to put yourself there because it's going to be the unexpected little moments of sheer terror. <laughs> well, let's also face it. It's hard enough – to be successful when you're in the right place, right? Yeah. By not being in the right place, you're making it almost impossible. Yeah, yeah. It, it's and and it's just it's those opportunities that you just never know are going to show up. That's that's what I want to stress. It's like it just seems to me some of the best things I've ever been involved with have been just slivers of a chance, slivers of of things happening. You know, even getting my the the two jobs that I've, I mean, I've been fortunate in that I've never actually had to like do a uh, cover letter and a resume or anything like mm-hmm. that. I got, you know, basically my career was over, one was over an instant message and another one was over an email. Actually, Bobby Summerfield got me my current gig 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, just by an email. Um, but if I hadn't been in a situation to be able to 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 meet Bobby, you know, through the podcast, I mean, it's just really just small little decisions that you make, you know, kind of can determine, you know, what your life is going to be and where it's going to go. And, and I think that's the one thing that you see a lot of kids going through schools and you see a lot of kids asking for career advice and things like that. It's like, look, you just got to make yourself available to have some wonderful things happen that you kind of stumble upon because that's what all these stories are all about. This is all stuff that helps shape our careers. But I mean – certainly wasn't planned at least in my case it wasn't planned and then it just kind of happens and it just kind of goes into the next level you know i just had a kid uh come to me maybe six months ago great guy and and really was talented you know as a guitar player as an engineer pro tools engineer he was great and i used him on a couple of things and he said i I really want to get a job in a big studio Okay, well, here's some places to check out. So I kind of lost track of him until a few weeks ago, and uh, I looked him up, and uh, he'd moved back to Virginia. So well, what happened? He says, you know, I get a job at this studio, and uh, I was starting at the bottom, and I didn't really want to do that. And then I got over to this <laughs> other studio, and it was the same thing again. I was starting at the bottom, and I just didn't want to do that. So now I'm in aerospace engineering. And I thought, okay, you're in the right place, you know, because let's face it, it doesn't matter what you know or what you think you know. There's a certain amount of 
starting at the bottom that goes into all this. And, Absolutely. And if you're lucky, it doesn't stay that way for a long time, but, you know, you still have to start someplace. Absolutely. Everybody, um, well, I, I didn't start at the bottom, so I shouldn't say everybody. <laughs> but everybody has to start someplace, yeah. you know. And But even my career, I was fortuitous enough that I went in as a mixer, even though I had never mixed before. Um, I just needed a job. So you, like, you shouldn't tell people make- that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> but – <laughs> edit, edit at this time. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of things that I shouldn't tell people. <laughs> that I also dropped out of college <laughs> to go on the road. Well, well, no, just from the standpoint that a week before graduation. Yeah, yeah. No, from, from the standpoint that you know it, it makes people think. Well, no. Mike did it. I can do no, that no, no. too. But but I have to be honest in that that I did I did literally say that. But it, you know that was a time when when to be honest there weren't a lot of Pro Tools mixers anyhow. I yeah. mean we're talking about. A long time ago, yeah. and uh, well, you had a skill. You had a particular skill. That, yeah, that, I mean, I knew music, and I knew yeah. I had an ear, and it's, yeah. it's not like I was I, I was tone deaf or anything. But um, but having said that, I was fortuitous enough to work for a place where I came in and I mixed, and like I, I said on podcast, my very first thing was commercials for the army, which was horrible because you have these generals behind you, and you <laughs> you feel like you know you can't, you can't <laughs> make a mistake, um, and uh, and. Wow, that's kind of intense. It was. Well, they weren't there the whole time, you know, because obviously you're working with an ad agency. But then – The ad agency is bad enough when you've got seven people in a room for the agency. But then then they have to sign off on it and you see these – you see these – you know, uniforms behind – it was weird. It was the most surrealistic thing ever. Um, As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. Um, I was such a rookie on Pro Tools that – and I think I've said this before but I'm going to tell it anyhow – that when I mixed the commercial, I didn't use any buses because I didn't know how to use buses. Mm. <laughs> so every track went out to track one and two. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just had a master fader and then I bounced it to death. You know, I bounced the disc after that. Yeah. So it was like I didn't even do any real-time recording or anything that you would do nowadays. You know, it was, it was crazy. But all this to say is, um, you know, I went there. I got the job. Obviously, I learned my chops, and then within um, like four months of starting, um, the senior audio mixer um, leaves to go to San Francisco. So it's like you know, yeah. got bumped up, and now I'm senior audio mixer. You know, yeah, and, yeah. but you just had to put yourself. If I hadn't put myself in that situation, if I hadn't been, you know, just willing to take those kind of chances and and to do things. I mean, nowadays I would not recommend trying to mix if you, you know don't what, though, know how to mix. My career is. Very similar parallel. I dropped out of college to meet Stevie, and shortly after I started working, I mean, it's a much longer story than that, but uh, which you can find on Bobby uh, Osinski's podcast because I told <laughs> yeah, the story right. there. Yeah. But dropped out of college to meet Stevie, and then not that long after I started doing stuff with Stevie, his main tech guy left to work for the Grateful Dead. And so I found myself in that position where I went from being the new guy who knew nothing to all of a sudden the right. only guy <laughs> and the top guy, you know, as soon as there were other people around. So that can happen. I mean, there's four of us yeah. sitting at this table, and two of our careers started remarkably similarly well, that way. But I will tell you this, and I know this is for you too: is I put the work in once I got there. Absolutely, because you have to know what you're doing. And I was, I would stay, you know, even now, I still stay super late in, uh, you know, at the studio just if if I need to work on something or for some. Yeah, t- if you don't do that, then but, the magic never happens. Yeah, but I, but everybody kind of has that. Everybody like. 
there's literally nobody that I know that works in the business. A doesn't put in the time. B hasn't started at the bottom somewhere and and worked their way up. I mean, even you, Bliss. I know you started production all the way down. Really to- low. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't get lower than a runner, <laughs> where you literally would run tapes in um, doing uh, press junkets at the Four Seasons Hotel. You would literally run tapes from the green room to the hotel room, mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth for press. Um, but that gig was awesome because it showed showed me the lore and luster of Hollywood. Um, all the stars would be there, and it was just it was awesome. And Four Seasons breakfast and lunch mm. <laughs> catered. Um, and you got to do lots of cardio. Yeah, definitely. From room to room. <laughs> so I, I I went from there to um, a PA, which was being in the room and you know calling out all the press people That's pretty and scary when PA is the big step up. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that in that line of work it was and then um yeah, so that's where I started, but um I know that millennials want to start at the top, but that's impossible and I graduated college during the recession when it was really hard to find jobs. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in the most random job of all time and I mean it it took a really long time to get back on the road, long winding road. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just kept at it, and I have a lot of random skills from all the jobs that I, I was in. Yeah, but everything is kind of connected, and that's that's the thing. So I guess the one thing I, I wanted to say is, you know, don't be afraid to start at the bottom. Don't be afraid to put yourself in this well, you're, situation. Whether you're afraid of it or not, you're going to start at the bottom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you may as well not be afraid of it. Well, that's true. But you know, similar to what you were talking about, I had a friend who who moved out here, wanted to work, um, gave it a couple months, ended up not getting the opportunity that they think they wanted and ended up moving back to the Midwest. And I'm oh, like, it filters out people. The industry will and, filter out uh, people. And yeah. it's, it's like, man, you know, forget, you know, you don't want to give it a couple of weeks. You need to give it years. You need to really put yourself in a situation. Having said all that, you know, life is funny and you never know when things just magic can happen in a, in a, that quick. Anyhow, we're going to wrap this up. Um, man, this is great. It was great. I've, I've really, uh, I really missed uh, the podcast. I know it's been a while since we've done another one. And uh, oh, we got to talk about this last time. But I went to Japan, and I know I mentioned that on uh, the podcast, and that was amazing. Was I'm, it? It worked out well. Oh, it was great. There was just so many. Japan is the most awesome country in the whole wide world. And uh, yeah, I think I'll tell you about this on the next podcast. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yes, you, so I'm gonna spend some time. Yeah, with I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna. Tease that, and I don't know why I didn't bring that up earlier. I do know why, because Britney Spears. <laughs> All right, well, hey, if you have any uh, comments or questions, you could reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And um, really quick, Bobby, you working on anything, any books coming out, anything you want to talk about? I just finished the fourth edition of the Mixing Engineer's Handbook, um, and that's going to be out soon. Uh, and actually, I'm getting well, – I got the rights back. Which is kind of nice. Now I own the my own rights to that. And previously, it was many publishers. It went from publisher to publisher. So that's kind of cool. Among other things, that that's that's the coolest thing. Great, Rob. What about you? You working on anything? I, it's funny. In the uh, last few weeks, I've been doing a bunch of voiceover here, which is way <laughs> underutilizing the place. But yeah, it sounds really good. It's like going <laughs> shopping with a Ferrari. <laughs> but hey, it works and. Uh, that's actually been going well. And and also in the last few weeks, I, you know, there's a lot of gear here and it doesn't always get used, especially, you know, any given project. It doesn't use all the gear. And so some of this gear doesn't do so well sitting around and you finally turn it on after months or years and it doesn't work. 
so I've actually been going through most of the gear in here, cleaning things up, seeing what's working, what doesn't work, replacing a bunch of internal batteries on synths, <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of stuff, and and slowly bringing everything back to life. Um, just so you know, the Proteuses, you don't have to bring those back to life. <laughs> yeah, right. it's featured here. Yeah, but you don't have to bring those. The scary thing, they probably work fine. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the cockroaches after the apocalypse. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> hey. Nobody, I don't know anybody who's like. Man, I really miss the Proteus sound. <laughs> well, all I can say is if you do miss the Proteus sound, get in touch. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, but so it's I've been doing a lot of that stuff and it's been fun. Great. Uh, Bliss, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of stuff you can't talk about. I mean, No, absolutely. I'm, I'm really tapping into my creativity. And speaking of that magic you mentioned, um, I have a lot of fun, cool things going on that um, someday I look forward to sharing with everyone. <laughs> all right. And Mike? Um, man, busy. Been working on a few little things and uh, actually worked on the project that Bliss actually produced um, for uh, a convention. We did this really great uh, video that after the convention uh, we'll probably post it and uh, got to shoot L.A., got to uh, do some really good things, got to hike a canyon, a Renyon Canyon. And the, for those of you who aren't from L.A., that's like – it's this giant – mountain hill right next to hollywood and we had to take the camera up there and that was <laughs> three times yeah wow because there's three different peaks that you can go up and it was uh also a good was, exercise yes it was but let me just tell you a you should be prepared because it was like <laughs> I was like, Mike, you okay? You gonna make it? He got so much gear. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And that was the moment where I decided to slim my my back. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, so it's been fun. But I've been doing a lot of shooting, um, and uh, that's that's great. Doing a lot of visual stuff. So. Um, yeah, and other than that, trying to catch up with the podcast and, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, the holidays coming up. Um, so if you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And see if you can identify this particular synth. And each week we're going to present something obscure and oh, see yeah. if anybody pulls it out of the air. That would be great, yes. You've and- been staring at it for what, an hour and 23 minutes before editing. So somebody tell us what you think that is. But if you do know what it is, Rob will not give it to you. No, <laughs> you don't get it. You, you just win. You get an honor. You get a gold star. Because Rob does not get rid of any gear. You get an attaboy. You get an attaboy. That's true. Um, so uh, from myself and all the guys, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. See you. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API to West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Music.